So for the sermon today, we're actually finishing up our series. We've been in this series looking at the church, sort of saying, you know, from a biblical perspective, the church, church life, what, what should that be like? What should that look like? We've been doing this series for a couple months now, and we're actually going to finish it up, wrap it up this week, uh, this Sunday. And today, specifically, we're going to be looking at the church as a people of peace. And we're going to look at this in, in various senses. We're going to see these different aspects as we take a look at scriptures, uh, all the different ways in which we as the church, as the Lord's people, are to be a people of peace. And so we're going to jump right in now into scripture. And I want us to turn to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 1. And here's what it says. The Apostle Paul writing here, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this speaks to the first sense in which we are a people of peace as the church. What does it say here? Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Right? So through faith, through Christ's atoning work on the cross, received through faith in him, right? Well, well what takes place as a result? As Christ's atoning work is applied to our lives, well, he, he took our place. He took our sin. He paid for it in full. So our sin, it's paid for. It's done away with. Payment has been made. And so, right, our sin being paid for, now we stand before God as righteous. We're forgiven. We're saved. We are we're justified. We are declared righteous in the sight of God. And so being justified, our sin being dealt with, put away, no longer standing against us, that record of our sin, it's been paid for in full. And so it is no more. And so now, right, being forgiven, saved, justified, declared righteous in the sight of God, now we're at peace with God. We have peace with the Lord. Before this, right, apart from Christ, if you sort of think of what's the context in which this happens, here's sinful man. We've sinned. We've rebelled against the Lord, and we're, we're cut off from God. We're, we're not at peace with him. We're not approved by him, at peace with him. Because of our sin, we're separated from God. We're, we're rightfully his enemies and under his wrath. But Christ did come. He did take our place. He did pay for our sin in full. And so through faith in him, we're forgiven, we're saved, we're justified, we are declared righteous in the sight of God, and we have peace with God. And so as we think of the church, we're, uh, we are a people of peace. In, in sort of the greatest way imaginable, we have the most wondrous and truest peace. We have peace with God, right? The rest of the world out there, those who don't know the Lord, they don't have that peace. They are enemies of the Lord. They're under his judgment, under his wrath, but we, the church, have truest peace, peace with God. And as we sort of think of that, the natural outflow of that should be for us as, as God's people who have this truest peace, it should be for us to deeply experience it and, and feel it. We should be a people that, that as you think about as we're just sort of going out, out and, we're out and about in, in the world, we're living our lives, people should, should in a sense almost be able to, to pick us out of, of the crowd, should be able to say, that person's got to be a Christian, or that person must be a Christian, because even as there's turmoil and just the difficulties of life, as things are turned upside down, as, as in many ways, sort of things are like that now in our world, things are sort of a bit rocky and turned upside down, and yet we should be so obviously Christians by the fact that even in the midst of the toughest times, we just have a sense of peace about us. 
right? We have this wondrous peace, truest peace. We have peace with God, and, and there's nothing that can separate us from that. It's not like we have peace now with the Lord one day, and then tomorrow it's going to change. No, we have peace with God now and forevermore. We know we have life everlasting in Him, and that should prompt within us this great feeling of, of, of comfort and peace, knowing, hey, I'm the Lord's. I belong to him. I have God. I have fellowship with him. I'm at peace with him. And I have everlasting life in him. And so my soul, no matter what's going on around me, my soul is just at peace, no matter what the circumstances around me. And I think all too often we sort of don't look that way. Uh, we look to the things of this world to sort of be for us, to, to provide a sense of peace. You know, I have a nice retirement count, so that gives me a sense of comfort and peace that I'm going to be taken care of, you know, in retirement and so forth. And I have a job and a car and a house, and, and this, is, this is what provides me a sense of security and peace. That's sort of how we operate. And then the reality is those things can at times maybe be threatened. Maybe, you know, at, at your job, well, there are cutbacks, and, you know, some people are going to be let go, and all of a sudden your sense of peace, it's sort of, it's shattered, you know, and, and, and you know, in various ways. Maybe your sense of peace is in, in your good health, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm healthy, you know, everything else in life is going well, I have my health, I'm doing well, so I still got a lot of years left, that gives me a sense of peace. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wind up going to the doctor, you get some bad news, and boom, that peace is just shattered, because that was what you were relying on for that sense of peace in your soul. And the reality is we shouldn't be looking to those things for truest peace, but rather recognizing I have the truest peace. I have, I have peace with God. I'm right with him. I have everlasting life in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And nothing can take this peace, this, this life that I have in, in Christ Jesus. And so that should be that, that source of great comfort and peace in our souls, even in the, the most trying of times. And as we think of the church as a people of peace, and, and specifically in this sense, we're going to look at other senses in which we're to be a people uh, of peace. But as we sort of look at it in this sense that, hey, we, we have peace with God, and so we're a people of peace. Uh, we have that peace already now, but we can still sort of look around us and say there's still a lot of brokenness all around in, in the midst of the world. We can look at our, ourselves as well and say, you know, I still struggle with sin. There's still plenty of brokenness in me and in my life. And, and, and the reality is, Ultimately, everything will be set right. We're going to read about this. We're going to turn to Revelation 21. You can do that now. We're going to read it in just a moment. But we're going to get a glimpse of sort of what's in store for us as, as the Lord's people in eternity. When Christ comes back, he ushers in the new creation, the new created order, what it's going to be like. And what it's going to be like is perfect peace, perfect wholeness in every way. We, we can look at our lives now and say, even if we have peace with God, there's still a lot of brokenness in my life. There could be broken relationships. That, you know, we live in a broken, fallen world. It's just the result of sin. And there's just there's pain, there's suffering, there's death. There's a lot of brokenness. But that's not going to remain forever and ever. Ultimately, Christ will come back, usher in the new created order, and we will experience perfect peace in every way. And here's what Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says. Then I saw a new heaven... And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things.
has passed away, right? That old order of things, what, what we currently experience now, all of that, the brokenness, as it, as it speaks of here, death, mourning, crying, pain, right, suffering, you can think of all, of all of these things, all of that brokenness will ultimately be done away with, and there will be perfect peace perfect wholeness in every way and that's what's in store for us so as we think of the church as a people of peace we have peace with god right now we we are right with him we have peace with god but we also recognize that there's perfect peace that's in store for us in eternity and again these things are are sure are, are solid and secure for us for those of us who are in the lord who have true saving faith in him this can't be taken from us, that, that peace that we have with God, that forgiveness, that life everlasting, this perfect peace that's in store for us, this wondrous, glorious inheritance in heaven that, that we will experience forever and ever. It can't be taken from us. And, and the natural responses in our soul should just be to, to experience and feel this great sense of just peace and comfort and, and all that and to rejoice in it, to, to really experience that true peace. Not just to have it, yes, I, I know I have peace with God, and I know that there's peace in store for me, but yet at the same time, when troubles come in this life, that sense of peace is sort of shattered, but truly deeply to experience it and, and feel it within our souls. But I want us to, to continue looking at various scriptures and look at other senses here in which we as the church are a people of peace. And I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians, and this is chapter 5, verses 16 through 21 and i'll read it for us here paul writing and he says so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, at first glance, you might be saying, you know, I was reading there, I was sort of listening, I, I didn't hear much reference to peace and, and the church being a people of peace here, but, but let's really think about it. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that God has given to him. Here he's really specifically, when, when he says, uh, let me read it for us again, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The us there is specifically referring to himself and his fellow co-laborers in the gospel. So these are sort of those you might say are in vocational ministry. And he's saying, hey, for us, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But if we think about it, and Paul would certainly agree with this, while there's sort of a special sense to that for them as in vocational ministry, the reality is that all Christians have a share in this, this ministry of reconciliation. And, and as we're going to talk about, I, could, I would say you could also call this a ministry of peace or peacemaking. And we'll talk about that. This is where we're going to see sort of peace come in here. But, but ultimately, everyone has a share in this ministry of reconciliation. And what is this ministry of reconciliation? Put simply, it's going out into the world and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. To, to those who don't know, who don't understand, who've never heard it, going out and just, just proclaiming this truth of the gospel all about Christ so that God might then work through that, use us and, and work through that to ultimately lead those people to saving faith in him so that they might, through Christ's atoning work, 
be reconciled to God. So God is using this ministry, right, this ministry of reconciliation that, that Paul and his co-laborers in the gospel, but again, all of us as Christians have this ministry of reconciliation, them going out, proclaiming the gospel, and God uses that and works through that to bring about, ultimately, reconciliation. As people respond to the gospel with saving faith, and then they're reconciled to God. And if we think about it, them being reconciled to God, that means they're being made to be at peace with God. And so this is, you can certainly call it, and rightfully so, and it is here, a ministry of reconciliation, but it's also the ministry of peace or peacemaking as well. And so as we think about ourselves as the church, and right, yes, there's a special sense here, I want to come back to this, but in which this is a ministry that's especially in a special way entrusted to Paul and his co-laborers in the gospel, to, to those in, in sort of professional ministry. Yes, that's true for those who are pastors and so forth. But again, all Christians have a share in this. We're all called to go out into the world and proclaim the truth of the gospel. We're to share with our friends who don't know, our co-workers who don't know, our, our family members, wherever we go, as we just go out and we're in the marketplace, you're at the grocery store, you're shopping somewhere, wherever, wherever we have opportunities, we're to be witnesses for Christ and proclaim the truth of the gospel. And so all of us have a share in this ministry of reconciliation or ministry of peace and peacemaking. And so as we think about ourselves, right, the church, this is what we're talking about, the church as a people of peace, this is one more way in which we're to be a people of peace. It's not just sort of as we already talked about, well, we have the greatest peace that you could possibly imagine. We have peace with God. We have this most wondrous peace, perfect peace and wholeness in store for us in the new creation. That's all true, but also, in a sense, we're to, to go out and live out peace, in a sense, to, to help to bring about peace and reconciliation, specifically reconciliation between God and man. We're to go out and, and go and proclaim the truth of the gospel wherever we go. Let God work through that. And as he has people respond with repentance and faith, right, then reconciliation takes place. People are made to be at peace with God. And so this is one more way that we as the church are to be a people of peace. And now I want us to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. And here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking here, and here we're going to look at, this sort of even ties in with what we just said a little bit, but I'll still sort of call it a, a, a fourth, another way in which we, the church, are to be a people of peace. We sort of already looked at three different ways, and this is sort of a fourth, but it kind of ties in with the third, and you'll see this. But here's this fourth way in which we, the church, are a people of peace. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus speaking, and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now I want to, before we kind of talk about the nuances of, of this as, as it pertains to us as the church being a people of peace, I sort of want to pick this passage apart. And I want to make sure that we don't misunderstand this. Someone could conceivably come to this and think, is this sort of some, some sort of work salvation? That's certainly not what's being said. But, you know, could someone conceivably misinterpret it that way? Blessed are the peacemakers. So if I go out and in my life, I'm acting as a peacemaker in life then, you know, blessed are those people, for they shall be called sons of God. So if I go and I do the works of being a peacemaker, then do I get the privilege of being, having the standing of child of God? That's not what's being said here. I don't want anyone to misinterpret that, that somehow we can earn the standing of being a child of God through being a peacemaker. That's not the sense of, of what's being said here. But rather, what's in view is, is being a peacemaker is, is just very naturally the outflow of saving faith, right? If we come to saving faith in Christ, we're a new creation, we have new affections, a new heart, and part of the natural outflow of that, the sort of changed way in which we're going to be living our lives is we're going to be a peacemaker. 
And if you sort of contrast that with, well, before we came to faith in Christ, we're not going to be a peacemaker before we came to faith in Christ. If we're just sort of living in rebellion and rebellion to God and, and his ways, and we want nothing to do with him and his ways, we're not going to be a peacemaker. In fact, we're going to be quite the opposite. We're not going to be making peace, but we're going to be sowing brokenness and discord and strife in our, in our lives. And, and so what's in view here is, is that to be a peacemaker, right, that, that sort of speaks to it, it is the fruit of saving faith. So if you're a peacemaker, that's good evidence that you really do have true saving faith. And as one who has true saving faith and sort of as an outflow of that is now being a peacemaker. But in that true saving faith, well, you're blessed and you, are, you will be called a son of God. That, that, that is what's in store for those who have true saving faith. And of course, that's made manif manifest through being a peacemaker. But in that saving faith, you become a child God, a, a son of God. So, so that's sort of the right way to understand what's going on here. But I want to speak to another sense in which it's speaking of this sonship, sort of being a son of God. Part of what's in view here is the reality that God himself is a peacemaking God. That, that's just God's character. It's just who he is. Uh, that's what, what he did in Christ. If we think of why did Christ even come? You know, we got Easter coming up pretty soon. And Good Friday, why did he come? Why did he go to a cross? What was the whole purpose in all of that? And, and rise again, what, did, what was the goal? Well, it was to bring about peace, to reconcile man to God, to bring about peace between God and man, where because of sin, there was no peace, but now man was at war with, with God and, and an enemy of God. And, and the whole purpose there in Christ's coming and his atoning work on the cross was to make peace. And so God is a peacemaking God, and to, to be a son of God, think of the language of sonship in a sense. It, it, to be a son, just generally, it speaks to the sense of, well, sons reflect the character of their father. That's just the reality. Even you can think of it in, in sort of overt, even physical, tangible ways. Children look like their father. They often behave in similar ways and so forth. So this idea of sonship calls to mind sort of the idea of similarity and sort of the sons reflecting the, the, the likeness of, of the father. And that's what's in view. And so that, that's part of what's being said here is blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And one of the senses in which this being called sons of God, what that speaks to is the fact that they are reflecting the character of God himself, that God is a peacemaking God. And those who are peacemakers in the sense of reflecting the character of, God's, of, of God are sons of God as well. But I sort of want to particularly now tie this in with what we're talking about, the church as a people of peace. Now, I realize this is not in the, in the imperative. It doesn't say be a peacemaker, but, but it's thoroughly implied. That's quite obviously the case that we are to be that. We are to be peacemakers. We as followers of the Lord are to be peacemakers. And, and I think the reality is, as we sort of think of this, first of all, we live in a world with, with so much brokenness. And I'd say, how much more so the times that we're in now? There's just so much friction between people, whether it's of whatever difference, whether it's different ethnicity, race, and background, and there's strife and friction and people at odds, whether it's uh, political differences. There's just, there's just so much friction and, and hatred and people opposed to one another and brokenness in relationships in our world now. And I, at least speaking of my lifetime, which isn't overly long, but I feel like now more than ever in my lifetime, and maybe you would, could say the same for your lifetimes, for those who are maybe a bit older than I am, I feel like we've never needed peacemakers more than now. The world desperately needs peacemakers 
right here, right now, and the reality is that's what we're called to be as followers of the Lord. We're called to be peacemakers. And I want to talk to sort of the specifics of, well, what does it look like to be a peacemaker? This is what we're called to be. This is how we're to be, you know, a people of peace. One of the ways we as the church, we're to be a people of peace and we're to be peacemakers. What does that look like? And so I'm going to talk about the different senses. One is sort of probably what first comes to your mind as you think of being a peacemaker is, is you sort of have this picture in your head of, well, there are two people and maybe they're at odds and, you know, there's some sort of disagreement. Maybe you could think of, well, two friends in your life, just to use some, some example. And there's been some sort of disagreement and now they're not talking. You know, one says, well, she hurt my feelings in this way. And the other says, well, she did this back to me. And, you know, it sort of gets blown out of proportion, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And now they're not talking. They want nothing to do with one another. And now we're to be a peacemaker. And what does that look like? Well, as a third party, all too often our response is sort of like, I don't want to get into the middle of it. Like this drama there, my life's busy enough as it is. Like I'm not getting in the middle of it. I'm just going to stick to my own business, my own affairs. That's sort of the, the prevailing wisdom out there. But the reality is we're told, no, you, you have to get in the middle of it. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be a dysfunctional way to get in the middle of it. But we, in a very healthy way, are to get into the middle of it and be a peacemaker, to help bring the two sides together, to get your friends together and say, you know, you guys used to be the best of friends. We got to talk this out, you know. Yeah, maybe you hurt the other person and, and you know, you need to acknowledge that and, and ask for forgiveness and you need to forgive and so forth. But to get in the middle of that and help to bring about reconciliation where there's brokenness in relationships. Now, maybe you're not a third party, but it's entirely possible that you're one of the two typical parties of maybe you were the one who committed some offense against another person. And now there's some broken relationship there. Uh, or maybe someone did something to you, and again, that, that relationship has just sort of been broken, and you're holding on to it. Whichever the case, if you're the one who's, who's one of those two parties, if you're the one who committed the wrong, you need to do your part to make peace. So if you committed the wrong, you got to go to the person you wronged and say, I messed up. You know, I shouldn't have done this. I acknowledge what I did. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Now, you can't make that other person want to bring about reconciliation. You can only do your part, but that's what we're called to do, to do our part to make that relationship whole again and see reconciliation take place, see, see peace brought to that relationship. Or if you're the one who's been wronged, then you need to say, hey, I, I got to forgive. Even if that person isn't coming to you and saying, I did something wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You need to go to that person and say, you did this to me and, and I've been holding on to it. I've been withholding forgiveness in my heart and I'm sorry that I've done that and, and I forgive you and, and I want our relationship to be good again and healthy again and whole again. And again, do your part. Doesn't mean you can make the other person respond the way you want them to respond, but you can do your part to bring peace and wholeness and reconciliation to that relationship. But I'd say there's another way in which we are to be peacemakers. And I'd say to sort of understand it in this sense, I want us to have a sort of bigger, wider picture of the meaning of peace, a typical biblical usage of the language of peace, which really has in view wholeness generally. It doesn't have to involve two parties who are at odds with one another. It just has in view that, that there might be some sort of situation of brokenness and to be a wholeness maker, to be a peacemaker in the widest sense of a wholeness maker, wherever you see brokenness, you go and seek to bring wholeness to that situation. So again, it doesn't have to have two people at odds and now you go and try to bring reconciliation. It can just be any situation. I'll sort of tie things in with what we're doing this month for, for Deliver Hope. We're going to be supporting Richard's dad and, and mom and their ministry out in India. And there's 
lots of hungry and starving children there, and they take them in off the streets and care for them. Now, that's not a situation of two people, and they're fighting with one another, and you need to go and help to bring uh, reconciliation there and bring the two parties together. That's just a situation of typical brokenness. As a result of sin, we live in this broken, fallen world, and, and here's a situation of, of brokenness where there's kids, and they're, they're hungry, and they're starving, and, and maybe they don't even have a, a home to live in, and so forth, and to say, we're going to take you in. We see this broken situation, and we're going to be a peacemaker in the sense of a wholeness maker, and, and where there's brokenness to make wholeness in that situation. So seeing this brokenness of hungry kids starving, and, and to say, we're going to take you in. We're going to give you a home. And we're going to provide food for you. And we're going to provide an education as well and clothing and all that you need. And where there's that brokenness to say, we're going to bring wholeness as well. It doesn't have to require, as we typically might think of being a peacemaker, a broken relationship, two parties at odds. But rather, anywhere in the world where we see there's just brokenness and it's all around us to say, we need to be a wholeness maker. Again, using the widest sense of, of peace or peacemaking, we need to be wholeness makers in every sphere of life. And again, I'd say we live in a time where there's an awful lot of brokenness. There's always plenty of brokenness in our world, but I'd say all the more so we're living in times where it's just sort of, it's amped up to the next level. There's all the more brokenness all around us. And how much more so do we need peacemakers even now? We always need those wholeness makers, peacemakers, but especially now there's, there's a need for the church to be what we're called to be and be those peacemakers, those wholeness makers, and, and go out into the world and where we see that brokenness to seek to bring wholeness to those situations. So now I want to kind of come back big picture and, and give us a really, really closing challenge application. Uh, and we've talked about the church as, as a people of peace. And I, I want us to understand all of the, uh, the different senses of this. First of all, as we talked about, we, we are a people of truest peace in that we have peace with God. And we have this, this wondrous, perfect peace in store for us in eternity, forever and ever. Everything will be perfect. There'll be perfect wholeness in every way. And again, as we think of an application flowing out of that, we have that. But I want to challenge us to deeply feel it and, and experience it. We have that truest peace, but all too often we go through life not sort of feeling a sense of peace. We're not sort of rooted in that wondrous peace that we have in the Lord, peace with God, this perfect peace in store for us in eternity, sure, secure, and that should bring great comfort and peace to our soul. But all too often we're sort of, as we talked about, looking to the other things in life to bring a sense of peace to our soul. And I say, let's not do that any longer, but let's find truest and experience truest peace, knowing that we have that truest peace in the Lord. Let's deeply experience it, that, that even when troubling times and difficult times come, we say, yeah, I wouldn't wish that upon myself or someone else, but even in the midst of it, it's not going to rock me and, and, and undermine me and shatter my sense of peace, but I'm just going to have peace in my soul, even the, in the midst of the storm. But I want us also uh, to recognize that we are to be a people of peace in the sense that, that we are ministers of reconciliation or, or peace or peacemaking, as we talked about that. And, and that means going out into the world. I, I know that, that this is not always easy for Christians to do. We live in a culture that says, we don't want you to go out in the world and, and share your faith. That's what we're called to do, to go out in the world, share the gospel. But our, our culture sort of says, keep it to yourself. You know, if you believe whatever you believe religiously, that's that's for you to have in the privacy of your own home, but don't bring that into the public sphere. Don't, don't bring that to the workplace. Don't, don't 
Don't share that with others. They don't want to hear about it. That's what our world says. But we need to say, no, we're called to be ministers of reconciliation, ministers of peacemaking. And that means going out into the world and, and boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel everywhere we go. Friends, co-workers, family, you name it. If you know someone who doesn't know, who doesn't understand, go share it with that person. Do your part to be a minister of reconciliation, a minister of peace, of peacemaking. We are to go and faithfully do that. And I just want us to, to want to challenge us to, to, as the Lord maybe lays people on your hearts, people you know, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, whoever they are who don't know the Lord, just to say, you know, I've never shared with that person but it's time for me to do it now. I need to be faithful. I need to be this minister of reconciliation, of peacemaking, and do my part and boldly go out and share the gospel with that person. But then lastly, as we talked about as well, we are to be peacemakers in every sense. Peacemakers, as we talked about, two people, right? Maybe there are two people and they're at odds with one another, one another and we need to seek to bring wholeness and reconciliation. But also in the widest sense of being a wholeness maker, as we see brokenness all around us, uh, just to say, hey, we need to bring wholeness to those situations. And I want to challenge us to really live that out. I want to challenge us in a specific way to say, take some time this week in prayer to say, you know, Lord, where are the broken relationships around me? Or even just brokenness in any sort of general way around me. And maybe you're, you're one of the parties to that broken relationship. Or maybe you're someone who's hurt someone else and, you know, used to be great friends but not anymore. Or maybe, you, you know, you're a third party and you know of two friends or family members and it's just they're not on good terms, there's sort of a brokenness to the relationship. Just pray, God, show me some broken relationship in, in my sort of sphere of life. And, and, and Lord, when you show that to me, just give me a faithfulness, Lord, just to pray this, to really do my part to be a peacemaker in that situation. Whatever that entails, whether it's the third party role of, of going and bringing the two people together, whether you've wronged the other person, they've done something you, to, to say, Lord, just give me a faithfulness to really truly be a peacemaker in that situation. So I want us to, to really have a very tangible, practical application of seek to, to discern brokenness around you in the world, broken relationships, brokenness in any way, and then truly act. Challenge yourself to act in some sort of way this week, the weeks to come, to really bring wholeness and peace to those situations, all in service to the Lord for his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, we, your people, are to be a people of peace in every way. We have truest peace in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. We have peace with you, Heavenly Father, through Christ, who paid for our sins on the cross. And we thank you for that. We know we have this perfect peace in store for us in eternity. Again, thank you for that wondrous gift. And may we truly perceive and, and feel and experience peace in our souls as we understand that peace that we truly have. May we even, in the midst of the toughest storms of life, be truly at peace in our souls, knowing that we have peace in you, Lord Jesus. Peace with you, Heavenly Father. We pray that we would live out peace as well, as a people of peace, as you've called us to. May we be those faithful ministers of reconciliation and peace. May we be peacemakers in every way as you have called us to, Lord. You are a peacemaking God, 
and you're our Heavenly Father, and we as your children should be peacemaking people. I pray that you would give us a faithfulness in this in every way that we might honor and glorify you in it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.